This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. What up, buddy? How are you? What up, dude? Good. Good. So, <laughs> good. Good, uh, we good. got a good guest on today. We got uh, our friend uh, David Weintraub on. How do we, David Weintraub, Dax, tell me about how you got to know who he is. Because, you know, so, again, some people are going to know who he is. Some people aren't. But how did you, you Well, you know, know his work. That, that's 100%. Like, you know the things that he's had his hands on. And he's just one of those people that has been in the entertainment industry for so long. I met him back at my days at TMZ because he's managed some of the biggest acts out there. You know, he he's been involved with Scott Disick and Too Short and Ray J. And, you know, we covered Ray J a lot on TMZ. But my job at TMZ was to negotiate buying material or videos or photos, you know, licensing that stuff. And someone like him always seemed to be in the right place, right time. We would license stuff from him, whatever the case was. So that's kind of how I got to know him. Um, but he's just always kind of been on the pulse of what's hot and what people want and gets it from like the media side. You know what I'm saying? Like he knows what stories are going to pop off in the media. And so he's just, yeah. he's just always been on it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have him on and he's, he's dipping into the social media world. I mean, it's funny you know, we reached out for Tana. Uh, how do you say Tana's last name? Tana Manjo. Manjo. We, we reached out for Tana. I fuck up that name every time. I got to keep practicing because we're going to have her on soon. Um, but I reached out for her and he responded. I was like, holy shit. I had no idea that you were working with like big social media stars now. And I was like, you're someone I want on the podcast. So that's really oh, how yeah. it kind of came down to having him on today. Yeah. I mean, he's the type of guy you love to have dinner with. Like, of course, you want to have dinner with a celebrity. But I feel like guys like him have just as ma- just as good stories, if not better. I you know, better, and I, I love story. like I love talking to guys like him. And I'm excited to hear what he's got to say about working with Ray J. Because, again, Ray J is one of those people where I think some people again, this is me just for sure. I think some people have this uh, illusion of Ray J ever since the video. But you don't know what kind of business guy he is entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, executive producer like he's got. You know, probably what four or five TV shows on TV. He's done a lot of business deals, like, and he's done just, you know, from my personal experience, it's always been super cool. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just excited to have David on the podcast. And uh, it came out of nowhere. And I was like, fuck, I'm just happy we kind of landed this interview. Before we get to him, we read, we read reviews on this podcast. And that's the best thing you do to support this podcast. I always say the same thing, but really is because iTunes has an algorithm, and basically the algorithm goes by who leaves reviews. If they give you five stars, then your name goes up to charts. So that's the best thing you do to kind of show us some love, you know, because we need it. We need some love. We need love. We need love. And it boosts our egos. So with that said, and if you leave us a review and a good one, we'll leave it. uh, We'll read it on air. Dax, uh, do you have a review ready? I do. All right. We got this one from z-man jets it says terrific podcast gave us five stars and then the comment says had the pleasure of meeting adam a few years ago and bonded over our mutual love of wrestling picked up this podcast recently and began enjoying it the big e and jericho episodes were awesome and enjoy the interviews with the myriad of guests adam and dax have great chemistry highly recommended i know who this guy is shout out to him he's a good guy uh hopefully get some more wrestling people for him so uh 
thank you. And again, guys, re- by the way, the wrestling ones, Adam, you know me, I'm not a big wrestling fan, but the wrestlers have been some of my favorite guests. They That's know fun. how to work uh, an interview. Yeah, but we're not like, it's weird. I feel like we, we kind of humanize them a little bit. Like we always say we humanize Hollywood, but it's also just making it mon- more fun and relatable. Um, sort of like, uh, if we're at a bar asking them questions because they're just such stupid questions. I mean, but their answers were actually interested in. Yep. Um, and that's, uh, again, guys, leave a review and uh, we'll read it on air as long as it's good and you kiss our ass. Um, but I I'm mean, excited. Some of the ones I've read that are bad about Adam. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as long as you give me five stars, bash me. I don't care. Um, I'm excited for today's conversation with our friend David Weintraub. Dax, tell us about our guest today. All right. So our guest today is someone who's been raising talent in Hollywood for a very long time. He's a producer, a talent manager. I'm going to save all my little accolades while he's on here because I really – I think he's – just got such a, a huge body of work, but David Weintrop, welcome to the podcast. Okay, so David, you're like a difficult guy to, to start with because you do so many jobs in Hollywood. When someone asks you what you do, what do you say? Well, hold on before before he does it. Can I can I kiss your ass a little bit, David? Because I yeah, don't think you, you, you are, are going to kiss <laughs> ass away. Thank you, sir. Please. Well, the Please. thing is, sometimes I feel like people won't give themselves the credit they deserve. You know what I'm saying? Like you'd be like, "Oh, I'm a producer," and we mentioned that, and we, we said you're a talent manager. But you guys got to realize that David created like VH1 Celeb Rehab. He also did Hollywood Hillbillies on Reels. He also did Sons of Hollywood on A and E. He also, I mean. He's also a producer a on Hip Hop Hollywood and did about no, everything. Loving lo- 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 Hip Hop Hollywood. Loving Hip Hop Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's like the guy's done freaking everything. Not only that, one thing that he may not say in his resume was that he grew up with some of the most famous people on the planet. I mean, he grew up with the Spellings. And did I hear this correctly, but Aaron Spelling is actually your godfather? Uh, okay, so his son, Randy... Yeah. He was my best friend growing up. And my father passed away when I was very young. Aaron took a liking to me at a very young age. And Randy and I became best friends. And he really became a father figure to me. Okay. And I spent 17 years with them. And I was blessed to have him be a mentor, a father figure, you know, someone that I could go to for advice. I never asked for a job. I never worked for him, but he was always in my life. So I, I had that unbelievable bond. So when I when I sort of started to learn this business, anyone that wanted to teach me anything, I was kind of like, listen, I'm already being mentored by the greatest of all time. So it was very, very just a wonderful relationship. God rest his soul. Miss him every yeah, day. So, so not only the spellings, you, you grew up with the Jenners, the Kardashians, the Hiltons, pretty much everyone out there. So, okay, now go back. Now that I've kissed your ass and told people Thank how important you, you are, go back and answer Adam's question. What do you say to people? When they ask me what I do? Yep. Well, I, I'm the number one jack of all trades. I'm a, I was a former agent and record company executive. I'm a producer and creator of TV shows. I am a manager. I am a public relations PR expert. I am a branding and integration high-level deal maker. And I am a father. So I have kind of all the worlds of the entertainment business under one umbrella. 
And I basically like any type of deal, any type of opportunity in the entertainment business, I can broker the deal, create the opportunity, or even create the business for you or myself. So in the, in the talent manager as that position, what exactly do you do as a talent manager? Like what is your role? What, you know, cause people hear the word manager, but what is, what does that entail? Well, a manager different than an agent. An agent is someone who is a proprietor of work. So they're out in the world looking for opportunities, looking for uh, jobs, movies, acting, reality shows, music, record deals, all that stuff. The manager is the partner with the talent. So we are basically partners in the grand scope of creating the business to the most optimal potential. So I have to oversee the one-year plan, the two-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 20-year plan, all of the growth strategies while making sure that the publicist, lawyer, agent, and the talent are all doing their job. So basically every Thing that you need to do to maintain that person and catapult them, I have to do. So I am on the phone literally nonstop every day with my clients, with all of the buyers, the lawyers, the publicists, the agents, making sure everything functions. So is your is your biggest client Ray J right now? Mm, he's one of our biggest clients. The, um, the only reason I ask is because yeah. I heard a rumor that yeah. Ray J is the highest paid reality star, I think, on television. I don't know if Male. I'm correct in that. Male. Male. Highest paid. the highest paid male non-scripted star in the entire scope worldwide of the television business. But that that's like when you have in like a Nick Cannon. I mean, who, who else falls all, into that category? We're all, we're all making the same kind of numbers. Exactly. Really? Nick Cannon, Puff Daddy, Snoop Dogg, Ray J. You name a person in the upper echelon with multiple television projects on the air, in production for multiple seasons, the conversation will always go back to Ray J. That is so and this took a long time. I mean, this wasn't like overnight. This was a growth span of a 15-year relationship with Viacom and hit after hit and show after show and deal after deal. So it's not just like, oh, one day it happened. But yes, in the scope of highest paid, you're looking at it. I just, we just knocked out 70 episodes for VH1 in the pandemic, 70. Did Nick Cannon do 70? No. That's, that's crazy. Oh, he didn't do any. Yeah. <laughs> but, people, people, no, I was going to say a lot of people don't even realize that at least for me, I can't say a lot of people. I can speak for myself. I didn't realize that Ray J does so much, you know, and is doing so much and has a lot of input as a producer on these shows. What is what is the appeal to Ray J? Like, why does Viacom love Ray J? You know, what's the draw to him, in your opinion? I think the draw is that Ray is a actor and singer first who has a bigger-than-life personality that came out second that then transformed into this kind of over-the-top pop culture celebrity – and then he's kind of this guy that everything he does is wild and newsworthy. And then at the back of that, you have Ray J and Kim K, who like basically invented and paved this world for pop culture opportunities in television and brands and marketing and all of this celebrity underworld that they kind of opened up and created. So it's always going to tie back to like the upbringing of how they came out. And we all know that story. Yeah, sure. no, well, I don't think we all know 
the real, real story. I don't know how much you were you working with Ray J when all that came out. Uh, I wasn't working with them with Ray when that came out. I was working with Scott Disick when that came out, but I wasn't. I hadn't yet signed Ray. So in the in in the inclination of the crux of this, that did, that wasn't there yet. But I I could I could take us back one step, okay? And and this is a story that I I don't think I've really told too many people publicly, but. The, the year that I created Sons of Hollywood, I created Sons of Hollywood in 06, uh, I'm sorry, in 05, we shot it in 06, came out in 07. That was the year before the Kardashians happened. So had Sons of Hollywood been a monster hit, I was lining up to do Daughters of Hollywood. And Kim K was gonna be in Daughters of Hollywood. So her, her and Chris and I and Kim, we all had meetings talking about, if this show's a big hit, we're gonna go and do that one. And at the time they were saying, oh, there's an inkling of this possibility of doing this show with Ryan Seacrest about the whole family, blah, blah, blah. But if this one happens, we'll jump on yours too, if that's a big hit, and then we'll go do this. So this was, you know, in that time period, 06, 07. Now mind you, Scott Disick, was living at our house while we were shooting Sons of Hollywood. So he's living on our couch and he meets Courtney during the six months of shooting of that show. And then they go on vacation with uh, Joe Francis and then their relationship begins. And then the following year, the Kardashian show happens. And then the following year, Scott gets a contract to be in that show. And I broker that deal. But so wait, so did you continue working with Scott through all of the, Kardashian and Ray J we, stuff. We did, we did a, we did a, we did like two or three seasons on. Then we took a couple moments off. Then we went back to a couple seasons on. Then we took a couple seasons off because there was always this, there was always this moment where a lot of opportunities would come in potentially for Scott, and then they would get twisted up to other people in the family when people wanted to book him. So we had to have kind of a non, you know, non-family person doing some of the representation for him. No, no, so, no. I guess what I'm getting to is, so you're working with Scott, you're working with the Kardashians, but now you... Well, I wasn't working, working with the Kardashians. Those were friends of ours that we okay. grew up with. Well, that's sorry. I what I mean is, like, you're talking with them about doing a TV show and all Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We were... They, you yeah, know we were, them. We were, they were going to be in a, in our show had we went on and did multiple seasons of it and did a spinoff with girls. That's what we were going to do with it. But then, but then enters you managing Ray J, right? Yeah. How does that affect your relationship with the Kardashians? Because obviously Ray J is kind of, and I say this, but like the arch nemesis of the Kardashians because Absolutely. the sex tape and because of everything, they don't want to be associated with him anymore. Well, even though it rocket launched her career. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the bottom line is, is that for the first probably three years that I represented Ray and Scott at the same time, nobody really cared. It didn't really matter. It was once the stakes started to get higher and Ray's business was really exploding and Scott's business was starting to explode in a lot of ways and there was much more visibility on their separate show, our separate shows and our business, that's when it got tricky. And that's when it's like, oh, well, you can't have all the information of this camp and have all the information of that camp because that becomes a little bit weird. But it had never really jeopardized anything prior to that, but it got sticky at that point. And I have nothing but love for Chris and Kim and everyone. I mean, it's all love. Everybody got in the game and everybody has made it in the game. There's nothing that we have any, you know, lack of liking for of these, like we, we, everybody has their, 
their lane. I have my specific lane and my lane is unstoppable. So do you still work with Scott? Scott is a, it's a tricky thing with Scott. Scott is someone who has a big balance of money that's owed to my company. So it's hard to really work with him because a lot of people are out there being like, I'm rich, 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 but don't pay their bills. And you got to pay your bills. You got to, you got to remember that relationships are opportunities. And anytime an opportunity or relationship is opened, when you're a manager or an agent, you're part of that relationship for the life of that business. That's just how it works. So there's some dealings that went down that uh, need to be addressed, but like as in anything, money changes anything. So like, for instance, we had some really big opportunities that people wanted Scott to do. So we always open the door and we'll give them to him and say, hey, you want to do this, blah, 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 blah. So money kind of cures all, especially in a greedy world like <laughs> this world, that world more so. So, you know, it, it's it, it, once we can fix the business side of it, I think all the doors can be open back up. But right when but for me say, right now, it doesn't, it neither, it doesn't matter either or, either way. And when we say big bill, is this like 10 G's or is this like 3 million? It, it's under a million, but it's in the high hundreds. I mean, it's, it, it's substantial money. You know, the problem in a lot of these things, and you kind of have to live and learn when you do business with your friends, that some business deals are done on handshakes. And there still exists a world where handshake deals exist. I mean, I have managed too short for the last 15 years and I have a handshake deal with him and we've never had a miss. We've never had a problem. We've never had an accounting issue. We've never had anything go awry. And that's the ability because you know that you always deliver the money. You always deliver the opportunities. You always deliver the jobs. Unfortunately, you meet people who are not professionals like somebody like Disick, who's a guy who slimed his way into my world and then into their world and then created whatever he created. These are people that don't understand the value of what that means. So if you're a true professional, you're always going to pay your bills. You're going to get paid either way somehow. So how do you handle that without making it get too dirty? It's always going to be dirty. Nobody wants to go to get. It's always going to be dirty. It's just like. Can you, you have to remember where you came from. You have to remember how you even got in the position to be in Los Angeles, to be in a room where you met people that actually took your life to the next level. It wasn't because you knew Courtney and Kim, Scott, that you got in that world. It's because you knew me and Sean Stewart and were there when we were shooting my television show that I created, that I produced, Sons of Hollywood for a &E. That's the only reason why you were there. And you came there because you wanted to glom onto us because we were becoming something. So that's clout chasing at its finest. So if you clout chase through Sons of Hollywood, you clout chase to Courtney, you clout chase, give her some babies, then you're in the show, then you may have a fucking business. But at the end of the day, you lived on my couch, motherfucker. And don't forget that. I mean, Scott needs to start writing some checks. Just saying. Whether he does or he doesn't, facts are facts. Everyone knows. Everyone that's been there since the beginning knows what it is. And it's all good. You know, nobody's, no, no one's sweating it. I know that I have to do sometimes my business better when I'm dealing with people that are in a personal relationship versus people that are actually like stars. So when you take someone who's not a star and make them famous, they're still going to act like a scumbag. And that's what you have to deal with. How did you end up with Ray J? Like, how did you guys connect? How did you guys meet? And how did you start representing him? 
Ray, okay, so so we all grew up in LA in sort of the private school system, and I worked at Interscope and Death Row Records, and Ray was an adjacent affiliate of Suge Knights and that whole world, and obviously Brandy and I, Ray's two years younger than me, Brandy and I are the same age, so he had heard about like what I was doing, and I can't I can't remember who exactly brought Omarion brought him into my office. Uh, when I was running a production company at Hollywood Center Sound, um, an adjacent kind of thing to my to my existing management company, I was running this production company called Stone and Company. And um, he came in and he had a million ideas. And I said, these are all interesting things, but we have to kind of resurge you and get you back out there and fix a couple relationships that maybe didn't go the way he wanted to. So we fixed those relationships and then we just started pounding the sand, meeting after meeting, deal after deal, show after show. Um, Oxygen and Buna Murray, of all people, gave us our first kind of set show after For the Love of Ray J. And then that turned into deal at Oxygen, deal at Fox, deal at VH1, uh, deal at Reels, deal at uh, E. Like we just kind of sold show after show and we're just sort of building this platform. I was able to keep him as a non-exclusive talent so that we could host a show, star in a show, act in a show, do a movie, you know, be in other reality shows. Because if you know, like, then I, I we co-created and produced and I starred in Sons of, uh, excuse me, Hollywood Hillbillies. And then Ray became a big character in Hollywood Hillbillies. So we're able to keep him fully functioning in all areas of the business. And that's something that most people don't get. Only sort of like the Nick Cannons, the Puff Daddies, the Snoop Dogs, the really big A-list non-scripted stars who are venturing in that world get to stay non-exclusive. Does Ray J still make money every year? Does he get a check from this, the, the, obviously, the, the Crazy Kim video? <laughs> yeah, you really want to open that vault, do you? That <laughs> Dax is going in for the vault here, huh? <laughs> well, listen, um, we, we hear all these stories. I mean, we, we hear that Paris still gets paid. We hear that Kim still gets paid. It's well, look, a fascinating look, question. You, Does Ray you, J? You understand that when a sex tape exists, it's not something that is actually just comes out and it's distributed by a company. And there's no money. Okay. Contracts are signed. Bank accounts are given. Direct deposits are made. Payments are made. And this is a business that to this date has made $250 million. <laughs> So to say, do checks get cashed? I think I, I think you can answer that question for yourself. So would this be the highest grossing income for the stars of the film, aka Kim and Ray J to date? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. Ray J has a uh, headphone company that's just got valued at $150 million. Wow. Yeah. Well, I remember this is so crazy. But you it's like crazy, it's dude? mailbox money. Yeah, well, he's got. I remember the bike. The, he had the scooter, the electric bike. He sold that. That company went public. Yeah, that's crazy. Actually, Dave, I think we actually met before. This is a crazy story that I had. This was a few years ago that Ray J was doing an interview at Fox Five Good Day New York, and he yeah. got into a little bit of a, uh, and you know the the host at the time was kind of like a, a confrontational. A, a, I remember was, that host. Yeah, he was there. a controversial guy, and he he went in to kind of pick a fight with Ray J. Yeah, we got and into we, it. That yeah, guy. and you got into it. And I remember yeah. meeting you guys. Who was that? Uh, well, uh, Pat Kelly, something Kelly. He was yeah, the police yeah, commissioner's yeah. son. Yeah, into it with him. And uh, you guys got into it with him, and you guys were pissed. So I actually met with you guys at Sarah Best in New York City on Central Park South and filmed you guys 
talking about the reaction. I remember how pissed Ray J was. Yeah. And this was 9.30. This is like 10 a.m. And yeah. Ray J's pissed. And we're at this place on Central Park South, which is sort of like this, like, you know, very uh, – waspy type crowd and Ray mm -hmm. J is taking shots of vodka with me and you at the bar because he's so pissed ah! off he's so fired up oh, and I was man. like dude this is great yeah. I love this guy like it was just cool yeah. he was just real I like fuck this guy yeah. I want to like yeah, you know got, like this guy went out to I mean look you know with press you have a certain arrangement of like things that you're going to discuss things you don't want to discuss and you know and then there's a fine line between the two when you cross those lines with certain people they're going to get you Ray, Ray is not, Ray's been doing this a long time. He's been doing press since he's seven years old. So he's not just going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to take that. He's going to spin you on your ass. What's a, what's something that people don't realize with Ray J as an entrepreneur? You know, he's a very successful entrepreneur. He's a very successful business person. But what's one thing people you hope realize and accept with him and understand with him to know how well he how well he does at business. And how Ray is an idea guy, first and foremost. I mean, we talk daily about ideas, plans, one-year plan, two-year plan, five-year plan down the road of opportunities that we can create in both media, products, uh, film, television, music. I mean, he he's a nonstop workaholic. Like this kid, this kid doesn't really sleep. I mean, he is really on the go and always ready to jump on the next project. And I think that we've been lucky because when he kind of figured out his niche, we were able to capitalize on a lot of deals that made sense that could be long-term money versus kind of the short-term big television entertainment money, which is great, but the long-term exit strategy money. That's the kind of where we're where he's at right now. And he's really close to a very, very big potential exit. I think I think his career is absolutely fascinating. One other person that I find like their career. I can't stop looking at it, is Paris. Yeah. And you worked a lot with Paris at the beginning. Yes. Were yes. you behind at all the, the simple life? Well, so, so when Paris became someone that people were interested in, Randy Spelling dated her for many years. So we were always with her in high school and in early college years. And she's three years younger than me. So she was always like adjacent us. We were able to become very good friends. And when it came time for her to actually get represented, I was at UTA as a talent agent and our team came in and signed her. And the first thing that we did was set up a few feature films and The Simple Life. So we were the first agents to represent her, to bring her her first bona fide studio-based multi-million dollar checks. And she was fantastic. I mean, that it, it, it was overnight insanity success and at that point we had never seen it done to that level you had kind of seen what happened with the osbournes and that was the benchmark which uta and people i worked with were involved with and i kind of saw that happen i was like this is the way to go moving forward into the next sphere and it was great so we you know we put her in house of wax we set up this movie called pledge this that was like her own movie she got her first couple cologne and perfume deals so that was like the early early stages and while i was sitting there doing this stuff that's when i realized that forget about being an agent who wants to be an agent like being an agent you're a fucking piece of a pie that you don't even get your credit you don't even get your money that you deserve all you get is like the bullshit grunt work and the agency, William Morris, UTA, CA, whatever it is, they take the credit. 
That's why I started to create TV shows because I was like, I'm not going to do it. No, nope. everybody said to me, you're never going to sell those shows. You're never going to sell, never going to sell those shows. I sold every fucking show that I started with in the room by myself with my, with my producing partner sold every show. Well, so, I know that's, that's pretty incredible, but I guess to the average person, it's like, you know, someone comes from middle America, they want to sell a show. How are you able to even get those meetings to sell a show? Or what's the first start, you know, to get in the room to actually talk to the people that actually are the decision makers? Well, look, you have to have, I mean, look, today you have this, okay? You have this right here. You have this, which is the most amazing thing. This is a recording studio, a movie studio, a, a, a social media promotion device, a, a, a way to write. It's everything is in your hand. If you can't create the package that's up to the standards of what everybody is doing today in their like decks and packages and sizzles, you're not gonna get any meetings because you have to wow somebody in two minutes with a presentation or an idea or a sizzle or a person and describing them. And you have the ability to do that. Once you can do that, you can get to somebody like me and I'll take you to the room where we can go get the money and I'll teach you how to do that. But you have to have your stuff honed in. You have to have a package. You have to have materials. So that's what everybody has to look into. What do you have at your discretion? Do you have a great family business with loud characters? Do you have a great, uh, someone who's popping in music that you want to help catapult? you got to look for those gems in your life. Maybe you're the personality. Maybe you're like Tana, my client, who was amazing just looking at a camera, talking about wild stuff and got a billion views on YouTube. Maybe you're that. I, I, I really, I find your world fascinating. And, and I, <laughs> I think it's just because of the things you've been able to create, because it's not this easy to create television shows. We've talked to so many people on the podcast where it took years of trying and failing. And it seems like you kind of just keep having, you know, success after success, which is not normal in this industry. Yeah. And I'm coming in the podcast game big time, big Good. time. I, I can't get into all of it right now, but I closed, I would say, the Barack Obama level deal of podcasting this year for one of my clients that will shortly be announced. And I mean, it's, it's massive. Millions of dollars and uh, huge ads behind it and, it. and it's coming. And I, I wanted to wait to really jump into podcasts so we had the right right one. And we, we got one that's going to blow your mind. And it's it's like... Two months away. Let me ask you, since you grew up in L.A., did you feel like you had to be in the entertainment industry? Like that's like that's what all the kids do is sort of go into maybe become an entertainment lawyer, manager, agent, actor on camera or something. I think for a lot of people that like their families weren't in the business. I came from a family of doctors and lawyers and educators. So I was like just, you know, you see the the opulence, the wealth, the wow, the fame, all of those things. You want to be a part of it. And, and I wanted to be a part of it. And I, I, when I was 15 years old, I got an internship at Interscope Records that turned into me becoming an A&R at Interscope Records. So it was like, I had to go get it. I had to get it. I, 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 I worked my ass off. My, also, you know, another thing, my next door neighbor growing up my entire life is Adam Levine. So like from the time we were seven years old, that was my next door neighbor going up. So I watched his career go from being a band in high school 
and then signing these lucrative record deals, then becoming stars. It took him 10 years. And in his 10th year, he sold 10 million records. So everybody had to put in their time. But but you do see this world that you want to capture and you have to have the drive and you have to have the insight. You have to, most importantly, you got to have the relationships. If you don't have the relationships, you don't have shit. You either have to have an idea, a presence, relationships, or ideas. And if you don't put in the work, you're not going to make it, period. I don't care who you are. Yeah. No. Or, or, or then you have the Scott Disicks of the world that like, fall in the shit because they, you know, clout chased on other people's success and then meet people and then drive into that. That's a different business. Well, yeah, but right place, right time also works for a lot of people in this industry. <laughs> true, true. But it's different. There's zero respect in that game. And that's why you look at somebody like Ray J. How many TV shows does Ray J have right now on the air? Five. Yeah. He's executive producer of five. He's creator of five. How many does Scott have? Scott's on, I thought, one of the biggest shows of all time. Everything that he ever tried to do as a spinoff fucking failed. You want to know why? Because you don't put in the fucking work. Put in the work. Do the right things. Go to the meeting. Treat people right. You'll get the money. If not, you're just fringe. So let's say, so after you worked at Interscope, then you worked you worked a little bit at Death Row. Was that during the Suge Knight years? Yes. How was Suge Knight? Oh, whoa. Suge Knight, it was, it was wild. It was wild. I'm this like young Jewish guy from Beverly Hills working in hip hop work. And it was like, man, I was working <laughs> death row records, bro. I had the chain. I had the, I had the, the cars. I had the credit. I had everything. And I was a guy that Suge could send into Places where you wouldn't expect a death row representative and get stuff done. Because I was so far from what you expected to see. Yeah. And it was that amazing. makes sense. Like you're the, the assassin, essentially. Uh, the assassin no one saw coming. <laughs> Take it easy, Dak. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. you know, while I was there, one of my best friends, Evan Bogart, discovered Eminem. And he's the guy, he's the guy that you always hear about that's like, oh, they got the demo from Jimmy and it went to Dre and blah, blah, blah. Evan Bogart went to the Rap Olympics, met Eminem, met Mark and Jeff Bass, got the TV, got the CD and worked at Interscope. And I was at death row at the time. He was at Interscope and gave it to Jimmy. And then Jimmy gave it to Dre. And I saw that all happening while I was going to business school because I was work, I was in school at USC going to business school. So I was, I saw that happen and then I left death row to go work for Eminem in the first year of his career. So it, it was kind of like this weird upper echelon of, of hip hop. And at the same time, what's interesting is I watched Eminem go from this kid to this superstar. At the same time, I also watched my, one of my best friends growing up, Adam Levine, go from this kid to superstar at the same time. So I got to learn from like really high level, crazy launches which I put into my ability to do my work today. Cause those are, those are just not normal acts. Those are like big, gigantic, huge stories that of, 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 of slaving to make it. Did you ever see Suge Knight beat someone up? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> he cornered me in an alleyway once. Does that count? Did he? No, Suge was great, man. Suge was, you know, it, it was a different time back then. And, you know, and like, it's like getting to work with your, 
idols that you're like listening to this music and then it's like you're with them and you're doing this shit and you're now their ally. And now for me, it's like, you know, by managing Too Short, I'm now working with the guys, the Mount Westmore group. It's Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, Too Short, E-40. And like, we're, I'm part of this like movement that's coming out. And it's, it's, it's wild because as you grow in the game, your clients get bigger, your responsibilities get bigger, but people rely on you differently now. I have a whole new set of responsibilities to this Mount Westmore act that I'm helping to do management with. And it's like, it's next level, man. Like the next year of what's going to happen with that group is going to be out of control. You know, obviously I was, you had death row. Then you went to William Morris. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing you learned about William Morris? Cause I guess on William Morris, you worked with people like Harrison Ford. I mean, you had some crazy. No, I worked at those. I worked at those. I worked at Harrison at UTA. William oh, Morris. Was cause, 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 okay. So interscope to death row to Eminem, all walled college end of high school, but full-time jobs, full-time salary, full-time position. Aaron Spelling then gave Randy and I a million bucks to do a record label. And we spent that million bucks really quick and we didn't make any records that really did anything. So I was kind of like trying to figure out what my next play was. I have this great degree, USC network. So I was able to go and get a, uh, a, a, a trainee program job at the William Morris agency working for the head of the music department at that time. So this is pre-William Morris Endeavor. This is old school. Now, I'm a guy that already had a huge body of work, so now I gotta be this suit and tie guy and listen to everything and have to be like, you're this, you're that, do this, do this. But I was like, well, let's sign Maroon 5, let's sign Eminem, let's, sign, like, let's utilize these relationships to sign people, but they're like, no, not till you're an agent, not till blah, 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 blah. So I did that for about a year and I had some friends that were at UTA and they were just moving up through the ranks really quickly. So I got out of William Morris, went to UTA, got promoted within a year and then spent six and a half years there. So hold on. You said that Aaron Spelling gave you and Randy a million dollars. So mm -hmm. I have a question. You are yeah. obviously extremely close to the Spelling family. You mentioned earlier, Aaron was almost like a father to you. Yeah. Do you think... What is going on with Candy and how she has not really opened up the wallet to like Tori? It's been a, a storyline for years and years and years. Yeah. Tori having financial issues and clearly her mom is one of the, like the most wealthiest people in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Do you think Aaron would be happy with the way that is all going down these days? Look, I, I can't I can't really comment on on that stuff because they're such a close family and Tori's Tori's unbelievable mother, unbelievable person. Randy is an unbelievable father and such a great guy. And Candy is a really good person. So whatever reason they have for how they want to deal with their money, that's in her court right now. And, and, and I, I, it's hard to say whether it's right or wrong. I mean, look, you want to help your family out. You want to help your kids, but it's their choice and you got to just let it live the way it is, you know? One day, it's all going to be theirs anyways. So, but is it? Is it? I I, I heard I, differently. I, I thought it was a lot of it was going to like dog charities. I dude, don't don't believe you know better than that. Don't believe everything you read. Candy's okay. always been very generous. She's been she's an incredible giver. Well, that's she, what I want to hear. You know yeah. why? Because I feel yeah. like what I hear yeah. is through the yeah. media, and obviously not media all stories are accurate. And so if she is truly a very giving person, I think we need to say that. 
Yeah, she is an extremely giving person. She was always extremely generous with Randy, Tori, myself, anyone. I mean, she's, you know, like she was like my second mom, you know, they 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 were blessed and they shared their blessings. That house was shared with all of us. We I mean, I, I like practically lived in that house. I mean, there was nothing that we couldn't do there. Come and go as we please have your own bedroom dinner every night, like everything that you could imagine. So the generosity at that high level of success, it was always an open door. Always. Yeah. That house is insane. Huh? When you're a kid running through there. Oh my God. The best yeah. house ever to grow up in right there. It was, the palace. it was crazy. Cause you know, like I look at stuff today and there's a lot of like rich kids out there and kids that have wealth and opulence and all this access, nothing will ever top the access or ability that what we did in exploiting that house, partying, meeting girls, having fun, after parties, you name it. I mean, it, it, it was mind blowing. If social media existed then, it would have been people forget whatever you've seen with the like a Jake Paul or someone like that. That ain't shit. You live in Calabasas in a five million dollar mansion. We were in a hundred fifty million dollar, fifty five thousand square foot mansion. That's so crazy. Like, like you know, there's levels to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me. Is there still like pre-pandemic, you know, you know, you grew up when there was a nightlife in LA. People are going yeah. out and stuff. Now I feel like in the last few years it's, it's kind of weak, you know, and this is pre-pandemic. LA sucks. Yeah. LA sucks. Um LA is a weird place. I don't know, either it sucks or I'm just over it and I'm either too like adult and I have kids and relationships and things that I'm more interested in doing. I have an amazing girlfriend, soon to be fiance. I have a four-year-old daughter. Like I've been there, done that on every single level. And also like I, I go on tour, I get paid to party. I get paid to throw events. I get paid to go to festival. So it's like, it's not the same. Like going to a nightclub is not the same thing. The hottest place in the world right now is Miami. Yeah, I was just there. Miami is the new LA. Miami is the new everything. You have money and you want to have fun, you're living in Miami. Because you can work there, play there, make money there, hustle there, get your project. Like anything. Anything is doable in Miami. LA is stale. I, yeah. It's sad. I wish it was better. And I mean, I'm here because this is where my daughter's going to school right now. And that's important to me. But uh, I could work from anywhere, pretty much. So you see, you obviously represent one of the biggest social media stars out there, Tana, who's got a new project that we're going to get into that. But what are your thoughts on the new celebrity? Wow. The new celebrity, the influencer, is uh, the most famous, the m richest, the most opulent, the most uneducated the most undervalued, biggest stars in the world is what's emerging from the TikTok, YouTube, OnlyFans, uh, all of the verticals and platforms that are out there. The people that are emerging there are making the biggest money, the quickest way with the most views, the most press, the most hype immediately. If you can hit it there, you're fucking rich. Next level rich. And so are, are all these people that do hit it big, they're making more <sighs> than traditional actors and stuff right yes by far so why do they not get so why do social media stars not get the respect that like actors and actresses get on mainstream media when they're clearly 
pulling in bigger fan bases, more money, you know, and it's like people care about what they're doing, but yet, uh, you know, a lot of these entertainment sites don't care about them. Well, it's a different, it's a different type of celebrity. And like the old fogies like you and I, who are in our late thirties, early forties, who have been doing this for a long time, we're not following every single app the way the kids are. So the kids are determining who the stars are. And if the kids love you, the brands will love you and the money is coming to you. And that's basically it. So you have to adjust. I didn't sign a ton of influencers. I've only represented two influencers. Michael Cottrell, Copper Cab, who I did Hollywood Hillbillies with, and we did 50 episodes of that TV show, and I crossed him over into mainstream, and Tana Mojo. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it big, and I'm going to do it really right, and we're going to explode in the market. Mm-hmm. So since I signed Tana, we have – I don't want to, like, pop every deal that's going on, but, like, we have TV, film, podcast, brands, products – you name it, we have deals to do everything and they're all rolling out right now at the same time. So like, she is a special, special, extremely talented, extremely gifted, wonderful person. I mean, like she's, the world that I'm involved in now with them, they're all so smart, hungry, stylized, have their own idea of what fame is, their own idea of how to catapult themselves they come up with ideas nonstop. They shoot stuff nonstop. They edit stuff nonstop. They hustle nonstop. So for me, I just have to reach out, organize brands, organize deals, and everybody is successful. And and I'm telling you, this money out there for those kids is out of control. Out of control. I can't even believe it. So you're seeing bigger deals with them than you've seen with a lot of the other bigger stars you've worked with over the years. Bigger larger, faster deals with more money. It's all a numbers game. Today, it's all about what are your numbers? What are your likes? What's your analytic? If you can prove your analytic is worth something, you can collect money from everybody, every brand, every TV show, every influencer, and they're all coordinated. Like the influencer community, the YouTube community, the OnlyFans community, everybody's working together. So everybody helps each other catapult and they see the value in the collaborations. So like the collaboration that we're doing right now with Tana is that we've taken the biggest um, influencer agency, Unruly, with Tara Electra and uh, her partner, Nikki, and Tana and my company, which is a pretty much, you know, classical management production PR branding firm. And we're starting our own influencer based management agency to take everybody out there that wants to follow in Tana's steps to go and have the ability to have herself and her team and all of the ideas that we've catapulted into her life and she's done on her own to then teach you how to do that. So that's what's happening with the new division of unruly and DWE talent called TAA. That's exciting. Nice, That's dude. Cool. Congratulations. That's a big Thank deal right much. there. That's and a I, huge I think, deal. I mean, if you're already seeing the success with social media, you know, just with Tana, I, I mean, I can only imagine you start piling all, oh, all, we had, all the other people that want to do the same thing she's doing. It's going to be huge. We had 100,000 submissions in one week. And I'm talking, <laughs> we had names. Yeah. Big, Big names. names. I can imagine. Names that want us to do it. 
Because they see the value in tying in with people that, excuse me, they see the value in tying in with people that know how to do a different type of content creation and using these different platforms and different verticals to put your content out there and market it differently. So there is kind of like a secret sauce to this stuff. And, you know, the game is to be sold. The game is not to be told. So we well, can I think you. I think it says a lot when you work with an agency or a management company that gets it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's a, sure. I feel like some of these traditional agencies out there, I can't see them lasting forever because they're old and stale. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a lot of these people, like don't come to Hollywood to be a man, an agent anymore. I, I, that would I, be like the work you, 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 it's so hard. And it's like all that work for nothing for them, the agencies to just steal your, your money and like pay you nothing. Like I do after like my fourth or fifth year at UTA, I go there, I'd make this company like 15 to $20 million in bookings. They try to give you a $200,000 commission, $300,000 commission. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not doing that. Why would you do that? I We own our stuff. We own our commissions. Like, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. And they're, they're, they're thieves. They, they are thieves. A lot of them. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't want to get robbed by your agency and you want to learn how to really do it and you want to have real partners, Unruly, DWE Talent, TAA. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. You rep the cast of Laguna Beach, you know. Oh, um, how was it like dealing with that? Like, how did that come about? <clears throat> you know, well, that that was great because that helped teach me. Uh, so I got the cast of Laguna Beach after we did the Simple Life. So I was kind of like the next inclination. So we had we had Kristen, and we had Talon, and we had Lauren. And I'm trying to like it, it, that taught us like how to take people that were like popping in that world and then go find brands and PR and all the other opportunities to like make money off of. So we I learned a lot from that. And all of that that I learned at that time helped me today. And now, you know, we work with like Spencer and Heidi and, you know, we've done deals for Brody and guys like that. It's like it all comes full circle. If you did a map of all of the big LA-based reality stars, Hilton, Spellings, Jenners, Kardashians, Disick, Ray J, uh, Laguna Beach, The Hills, me, everybody's on that map and everybody is connected to each other. Everybody, because yeah. everyone grew up in LA in the same system with kind of opulent, parents and opulent opportunities and the television business pop and we all became commodities and i was the guy that had the real job at the real agency and the real management company that could go and take you to the next level and i'm still doing it you you were just at the triller fights weren't you yes how was it what was the vibe like there this, this thing has become Man. such a damn big deal. that's the future that is the fucking future everybody's got to watch out UFC, Bellator, you name it. You have to watch out. Ryan Kavanaugh, Bobby Sard, Mike Liu, the guys that own Triller, these are smart guys. These are next level guys. They are the next level and they're going next level. Celebrity boxing has always tried to be done. These guys have figured it out with music, film, actors, personalities, fighting, lifestyle, 
and most importantly, all of the social media functions in one package and people are lining up. You're gonna see the biggest deals you've ever seen coming out of that camp and the biggest fights and the paydays are huge. The sponsorships are huge. I mean, I, like I'm telling you, Bobby Sarn, Ryan Kavanaugh, Mike Lou, these guys that run Triller, these are the guys and they are going to be big time billionaires soon. And I, I feel very blessed that they gave us the opportunity to launch Mount Westmore at this fight. And it was incredible. And we're in the middle of brokering some really big fights for some of the people that we're talking about on this podcast with so that. So what is Triller? Because Triller to me was supposed to be a TikTok now, but what essentially is Triller going to be? Well, it's an app and it's a TikTok type vertical. It's a network and it's a platform and it's everything in the mix. It's, it, it's social media combined with music, combined with dance, combined with fighting, combined with brand marketing, combined with outreach in the worlds that you've never seen. And then now it has events that are on large scale. So it, it hasn't quite defined what it is, but it is a movement. It is a big movement and it's gonna be really, it's gonna grow huge this year. Shout out to Triller. Thank you guys for everything. It's been unbelievable working with you. We, uh, me and Dax always praised Spencer Pratt. We always said he was ahead of his, how he used the media to his advantage, you know, yeah. and especially coming from us on the journalism side, like, dude, here's a guy who fucking gets it. Who's just like using the paparazzi, using the media, using cameras to his advantage. And, you know, essentially he set the tone for a lot of people. I don't think yeah. he gets the credit he deserves in that. Are you no, still working? He's one of the smartest guys out there. Spencer is a, is an OG of this game. I mean, Spencer knew how to manipulate press, media, TV shows, and brands and get money early on. And he was like, he knew, the, the thing about him is he's such a good guy and has such a good heart. And him and Heidi have such a great relationship and, and like a loving family that that's why they have been successful in so many different ways. Like he... He's just, he, he just got it early on and he's evolved and they've evolved in the business. They continue. And, you know, on May 10th, they have the Hills coming out. And this was like took two years to shoot this season for whatever reason took that, that long. So hopefully it'll be good and interesting. And, uh, my, I, I wound up putting Sean Stewart, my, uh, my, one of my best friends and sons of Hollywood star and celebrity rehab star he's now on the hills with them so it all kind of comes full circle you know yeah. who's the one client that you regret like came to you and like you regret not signing neo, neo okay really neo yeah neo came to me about six months before he had any kind of traction at radio and he came in with this team that knew he was going to be a star and they knew everything. And I was just like suit and tie guy, just really hot shot, blah, blah, blah. And I met a lot of people. I had to do a lot of meetings that I didn't understand who people were and where they were going. And he came in and Neil was a cool dude. We had a good time, blah, blah, blah. But his team was over the top and I just wasn't having it. I was like, they were like, oh, you got to get him a Pepsi deal right away, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like literally in this room with his two managers, Neo, the publicist, the five other fucking friends, the whole thing. And I put together this kind of diverse room of agents. Like I had African-American agents, uh, Hispanic agent, Asian agent, me being the white Jewish, like I had just this random team. And they were like, they, he looked at me, he goes, he goes, what, what, this, what is this team? 
He goes, is this the, is this the United Colors of Benetton team? What, what, what is this? This is what you bring out for Neil? And I was like, I, I, did, I didn't even know what to say to this guy. I was like, I mean, you know you're at UTA. This is one of the biggest places in the world. Like, we could do it. He's like, listen, you have to get him a Pepsi deal tomorrow. He's got to have a Pepsi commercial. And I'm just looking at this guy like, no one's ever heard of you. Like, how, how do you expect that to happen? And we battled it out in this meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I was like ready to leave. And they go, you know what? They go, Dave, you're an asshole. I want you to know that you're an asshole. And I looked at him, I said, yeah. And he goes, but you're the asshole we want to be with. And we're signing a UTA and we're coming with you. <laughs> I'm like, I, I was like, okay, okay, well, I guess I signed Neo. And it took him about like two years to kind of get off the ground from that point. And I just didn't really pay attention to it. Then he exploded. And then... I lost all that money because I wasn't involved, but that was, that was it. And when I see him to this day, we always laugh about that meeting because he remembers when, when, when they said that to me. And I, I was just like, I was a young cocky kid as an agent, like suit and tie guy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I didn't realize I, you have to really look at people because you can make that mistake very easily if you're overwhelmed. So, so let's play a quick speed round where you just answer whatever comes to your mind uh, we play this with a lot of celebs. We have a fun time just to see what the answers are, uh, if you're down for it. Sure. All right. So you've been to, obviously, a ton of celebrity houses. Let's X-nay out the spelling manner, just because mm-hmm. it kind of throws off the whole thing. But which celebrity has the most unique home? The most unique home? Uh, God, that I grew up in? I would really? say Roseanne Barr. Really? really? Why? Why? I was very close to the Roseanne and her son early on when she was a mega, mega, mega star. I mean, she had like, you know, she had like a $50 million house in Brentwood that was like five stories and out of control. But this is a tough question because it's like, when, you know how much time I spent in the manor. So it's like, <laughs> now you're like, yeah, your house is cool. Like, I, <laughs> that's why right. I feel like I had to throw that one out because it's I'm like, all right. I mean, it ain't the manner, but <laughs> <laughs> how are you gonna top that shit? Like, <laughs> who was the celebrity that had the most underwhelming house? Like, it was just so moderate. Like, dude, do you what do you do with all your money? Somebody with the most underwhelming house. God, Jesus, you're just really putting me on the shit list with people if I say that. <laughs> uh, Maybe they're just uh, down to earth. Doesn't mean they have a shitty house. They're yeah, just I mean, down I, to earth. Like, they're just like, it was very just normal. Like, I mean, I, I, normal in LA is kind of crazy. House? But I mean, like, God, Nicole Eggert. I don't know. Is she even like, is that even yeah, she's a Baywatch like, star. Even actually, yeah. like, she was at the time of like the height of Baywatch. She... When you think of like fun celebrities to be around, who comes yeah. to mind? Oh my God. I mean, just the new group of, of, of like Tana and her crew and all these, the influence, I mean, they're wild. Like they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're unfiltered. So they are just on, they want to have fun. They're not stuck on the money and the business yet, which is good because it allows, they allow people like ourselves to handle the big world and make it work, but they can still just be them. But these influencer kids are fun. Tana lives in a house with like her five best friends and they shoot content all day and they party all the time and they make money and they just have a ball. It's, it's a very, they're like, I feel like they're like my little kids and I'm like the dad trying to, <laughs> you know, you gotta go to work today, guys, get to work this afternoon. 
you know, they're like, dad's calling. I'm like, yeah, dad's calling. Did you just get the $250,000 wire? You know, that's, that's the dad. That's uh, nice. Celebrity who could drink the most booze. Oh, shit, man. Who could handle it the most? I mean, damn. You know, Ray and Too Short, my guys, I mean, we, we, we drank them under the table a couple of times. You know, you remember Ray drinking those shots at yeah. 8 in the morning. The, the vodka neats. He's like, oh, let's just get a vodka neat right before the interview. I'm like, oh, Ray, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. He, don't, he doesn't drink like that anymore, though. Yeah. What about, tell me a time where you went to like a wild, just like private concert. Because they happen all the time. We always hear about them, but not everyone's invited. I'm assuming you've been to some dope, like private right. concerts. Yeah, and I, I brokered them too. Um, I have a very unique client who is a very wealthy medical guy, and he loves to put on shows for his family and do private stuff for his kids. And I've done about 10 different shows at his house that are all in the upwards of like a million plus dollars to book. I did The Who at his house. I did Two Chains at his house. I did uh, Ray Shermer at his house, ASAP Ferg, uh, Snoop Dogg. Um, I mean... And how many people, how many family members are there actually watching the concert? Like a hundred people. I mean, we did the who, bro. I did the who in somebody's backyard. You know what I mean? Like, like that, like it was wild. The who booked the whole tour around my date. Like I had a date and it was like six months away. And I'm like, well, I'm giving you this amount of money. You're, you're going to do it. They booked their whole tour around our date. That's awesome. You know, it's wild. They're, they're, and, and, and look, I've been blessed to take people like, you know, too short. We've done so many private high dollar events for people that are super fans. I mean, we did, you know, we did the, the private Microsoft party for the CMO of Microsoft, where this guy was like the biggest too short. And he got up on stage and fucking rapped the dirtiest lyrics you've ever seen. <laughs> like, you know, loving it. It's like his wife booked that shit, money, no object, uh, you know, a year before the birthday party. So it's coming back. Those are the best gigs in the world are private appearances in people's houses where you get to like have fun and there's no rules. That's That's awesome. What's the, uh, uh, the most unusual place scenario you've ever run into a celebrity? Um, a weird thing happened when the, when Jersey shore came out, like, a lot of people wanted me to sign a lot of the kids from Jersey Shore, and I kept going. I was traveling a lot because I was doing another. I was doing a show with Levi Johnston and Bristol Palin at the time in Alaska, and I I ran into the whole Jersey Shore crew flying to Alaska, and that was just a bizarre meeting of the world because everyone was trying to get us together, and everybody was all on the same plane, and then that turned into like opening a lot of doors with uh, Vinny and Paulie D and Mike and the whole team and we're doing a lot of work from there. So it was kind of weird that like we were all going to Alaska at the same time when everybody was trying to get us together for me to help. Yeah, them. why why were they going to Alaska? Uh they were doing a big appearance in in Anchorage, you know. That's so random. Yeah. That is crazy random. Okay, so we always hear about the big restaurants here in LA. What is your favorite like hole in the wall place to go to? Hole in the wall place. Um, oh my God. So that's, that's kind of an interesting, interesting spot. Now I'm going to throw a shout out here to my friend, my, 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 my buddy, Jack, who uh, is a real estate agent, sold me a house or two. Um, he has a burger stand. Okay. And it's literally in a gas station 
deep in the valley. And he has probably the best burger I've ever tasted anywhere in my life. It's called the Brick Burger. And it's near the Van Nuys Private Airport in Van Nuys, California. And they're open seven days a week from like one to whatever. And it's the craziest burger you've ever had. And they keep it low key. They have lines around the corner. And that shit is like super hole in the wall, but super bomb. All right. Uh, the, what is the uh, best experience you've ever had in Hollywood or Los Angeles? The one that's just like, man, this is just maybe it was the night you realized you fucking made it. Like you're like, I, I crossed the finish line. 15 years old, Playboy Mansion, Midsummer Night Dream Party. Went in there, me and Randy, Randy's dad. Uh, and just like it was the wildest party I've ever seen. The girls, the the drinking, the celebrities, the wildness, you know, it, it was everything that you ever expected it to be. And it was in 1995 at the Playboy Mansion. I wound up, and that was, I think, one of my first times going there. I wound up like in the magazine too, like in the section in the front where they show the parties. And I was like in it. I was like, holy shit, here you are. You're in, you're in the magazine. You know, like I, I probably hooked up with like three different hot, super hot chicks. Like it, it was wild. Yeah, and everything was downhill from there. Did you guys? <laughs> did you guys walk to the party because the Spelling Mansion was like just down the street from no, the, the Playboy we, Mansion? You know, we had the first Maybach limo, so so you had to take it for the, <laughs> the four second drive. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> there was one time that randy didn't want to go to the playboy mansion i don't know why he had a girlfriend at the time and i wanted to go and we were like planning going all week he was fighting with his girl and he was like oh, i'm not gonna go blah, blah 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 and randy's dad wanted to go and randy backed out so me and aaron went to the party just the two of us and that was probably one of the wildest experiences like just to be like rolling with him in the mansion and like it was like next level shit and that was at the height of 90210 and Melrose Place and all that shit. So it was like next level kind of crazy, uh, uh, you know, insight. (laughs) That's really fun. What's the one place you will not go back to? Is there like one place I will not go back to? uh, There was a uh, I got I got rope and doped when I worked at Death Row Records to go to a strip club in Watts. Um, That was really wild. And I was totally fish out of water. And it was like the biggest strip club in the world in the hip-hop space and i they took me down there thinking it was going to be like all good for me and it was just kind of like a very very fish out of water experience nobody could believe that i actually went to this uh strip club in watts california wow did you uh did you work with farrah abraham correct are you still doing we had a brief we had a brief kind of we did about a year i did about a year managing her we we uh is a good person she has a lot of good ideas she's wants to have great follow-through but a big problem is you have to be liked by the brands and unfortunately i think that she they did her so crazy on all the shows that she became almost so unlikable and she's not an unlikable person. She is a nice person and she means well as a mom, but she's so over the top that that kind of stayed with people. So it was very hard for me to really broker opportunities for her. But I, I wish her nothing but the best of luck. She was very nice to me and 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 we, we had a good run. It just wasn't a good fit. What about Birdman? Birdman was dope. Shit. Birdman was like, that was next level epic because, um, okay, so so he wanted to act. He wanted to be an actor. I'm like, okay, well, you want to be an actor? We got to get an acting coach. 
We got to set up casting director meetings. We got to teach you how to act. So then the auditions would come in and he'd be like, I'm like, I got the audition. We got two of them. He's like, okay, I'm coming through. And he would come with a movement of 30 people and a whole floor of rooms at the Ritz Carlton or the Beverly Bolsher. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, it's a, it's a pre-read. Like you're just reading for the casting director. It's not even for the director. He's like, no, we all got to move together. And I'm like, no, that's not how you get movies. You got to walk in and act and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I had to become this like, I was like his acting coach. I'm running line. I did stuff that agents don't do like stuff that like was crazy. And we did, we did all these auditions and every time he'd spend like a hundred, 200,000 bucks, this whole team, this whole movement. And they call me, he's like, did we get the movie? And I'm like, no, bro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, like no dude that's what i said just roll out here just you want security knock out the meeting go home don't bring the movement you know oh, but, but it was it was it was fun it well was fun david we've kept you way longer than we said we would and we appreciate your just wealth of knowledge when it Thank comes you. to hollywood Thank and growing up you know you yourself famous but around all these people who became superstars you know what I'm saying? it's not every day that you could say i grew up with kim kardashian and paris hilton and the spellings i mean it's just you uh, you have a fascinating life and uh you're killing it out there i'm Thank excited you. to see how this uh this agency goes with you and tana and you know i'm excited for you it seems like you just keep making all the right moves so I'm, thank you sir I'm, appreciate it hard work always pays off and congratulations to both of you on all your success dax i've known you a long time I remember when I used to call you, you used to get me all my money over there at that other website, you know? You know? That was my you job. Know I was that? the buyer of stuff. Yes, you are. You are a buyer of content. But uh, congratulations, guys. Thank you for having me on. And we're going to put – Tana's coming on. We're going to do that one real soon because I want to get that on the books with everybody. Yeah, Sick. dude. Congratulations. It. Put, it, put in a good word with Spencer Pratt. We've been trying to get him on for. I'll call him on. him? Hang on. Yeah, call. Yes. Oh, oh, this mother big, big shot. This guy, big <laughs> shot. excuse me, big shot. Yo, bro, don't bit. No, 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 I need you, bro. Bro, okay, yo, bro, like everybody's trying to book you on the Hollywood Raw podcast and they say you floss in them. I'm feeding hummingbirds. Hold on, just don't floss them, bro. Please don't floss them. Answer, come on, we've been begging you to get on this podcast. Hours for that. Happy just landed, and then you you fuck. Don't. I ignore it. It's emergency. We're promoting the hills. Promoting the hills. The hummingbirds can wait. Get on the podcast. I'll call. Call me back. (laughs) Remember who the highest paid people are in television. Uh, oh i love it that's so funny and on that note have a wonderful afternoon boys i love stories like that i just love people to shoot the shit like to me that's (laughs) just like dinner conversation stuff like just tell me your stories i can listen to that stuff all day i hope you honestly though appreciate that too these conversations so like you know the name david weintraub might not pop into people's mind until you know they get to know him a little bit better but I feel like these are the conversations that I get the most texts about or the most DMs about because they're like, 
holy shit, I had no idea who this person was. And you guys opened up to a whole new world. Like it's really eavesdropping on like a good dinner conversation. Yeah. I, uh, he's, and listen, if you want a manager, that's the kind of manager I'd want someone who's just like, he takes giant action. You don't actually, yep. he, you know, it's Hollywood. There's a lot of bullshit and you need a manager who's going to take giant action and like roll with you and, you know, and, and kind of very forward. And, uh, and you know you need a good team, unlike the the teams that me and Dax have been with over the years. Our managers, <laughs> right. we've gone through like shitty, fuck. shitty, 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 and then we're terrible out. people, man. But when you have a good guy like that, and honestly, like you know, sometimes you don't need to be the UTA or the CAA agencies. You could do some guy who just is very, like he said, just you know, a master of so many skills and val. He, he adds so much value to you that but I mean, really, look at Ray it's, J. It's the contacts, dude. Someone yeah. like him has massive contacts in this industry, you know, and it's, it's a lifelong contact. So he's grown up with half the people that are crazy successful. And we obviously talk about the Hilton and the Kardashians and those people, but there's a hundred other people that don't have a famous last name, but are power players in the industry that he knows, you know what yes. I'm saying? Fun so. follow on Instagram. Make sure you check him out. Uh, make sure you leave a review for us because that's the best thing you do to support this podcast. We are on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on it all. Uh, you can see a video portion of this podcast on YouTube. You can find me at, at Adam Glynn, G-L-Y-N. You can find Dax Holt at D-A-X-H-O-L-T, at Dax Holt. We'll see you guys next time. Media Production.